now I'll invite you, though, to take a Bible and to open it to Romans chapter 14, where we're going to read verses, the entirety of the chapter of 14, and then a little bit as well, into chapter 15. And the title of the message is Faith, Love, and Hope, which if you hear that and you grew up in a church environment where scripture was read, you'd say, that's not the right order. It's faith, hope, and love. Well, if we were preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, that's true, but we're in Romans 14. And the order in Romans 14 is faith, love, and hope. This is on page 948 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us, each of us, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that's where we'll conclude our reading. Next week, we finish the, cha- uh, the book of Romans. We'll read the rest of 15 and 16. We began the book of Romans when it was still 85 degrees outside in August, and we will be finishing the letter to the Romans while it is, uh, I don't know what it's going to be next week, but it won't be 85 and sunny, that's for sure. But it's been a great book to go through. Uh, and if you're only joining us for, for this time and don't have the context of the whole letter, I hope you'll just give us a little bit of grace because we can't review it all. Um, but even just in reading it, you might ask yourself, so what's, so, what's such a big deal about eating? <laughs> what, what is it about eating a meal that can cause so much trouble that this much space is being devoted to it? It's kind of where my mind went, but I had an experience this past week that brought home how much a singular meal can have a, a lot of emotion attached to it. So probably uh, in the course of our marriage, which is almost at 13 years now, uh, I've come home where it was just somehow timed perfectly, where upon arrival, open the door, and you could smell dinner. And it was a roast. It was a roast with carrots in it and onions. The meal that my mother made every Sunday we had morning church and then afternoon church, but you went home for lunch. And so a roast was the easiest way to put something in the oven, come back home three hours later, it's all ready to go, and then you get back and go for church. And so it was an almost every Sunday smell coming in for lunch. So Wednesday evening, I open the door and I smell it. And Amy forgot I was fasting. That hurt. <laughs> that hurt hard. This one singular, I took a picture of it. I was like, oh, this will be good when I do enjoy it. And I appreciate all the love put into it. But I neither had to be offended, nor she, for putting all the effort into it. And then me say, no, I don't think I should. <laughs> I made a commitment. I'm not going to break the commitment but thank you for it. And it was incredibly gracious on her part. Yeah, there was, there was no animosity either way. But what's going on in the church in Rome is not quite like that, but you have people from very, very different backgrounds who were told their whole life that eating something was wrong, that the gods don't want you to eat something. And now they're involved in this group of people where there's people from different backgrounds who didn't have parents who said, well, you shouldn't eat that. That's not wrong. Or actually, this is what we prepare in sacrifice for another God to be in the form of worship. And they're coming into this mixed community of people where everyone has a different set of rules of what's allowable and not, what they think is sinful and not. And so at an ordinary meal time, which for most of us is a time to get to know people, a time to fellowship and grow deeper in knowing each other, what was on the table could break relationship. Someone might get up from the table and say, I can't, I can't sit here if this is what's put on the table. They had different backgrounds, different convictions, and though they had now all come together because they believed in Jesus, 
they came to faith in Jesus in different ways with different backgrounds and understandings. And Paul himself, who's writing this letter, knows what that's like. He had his own background. He had his own list of things in his background and his um, tradition as a, as a Jewish believer who would have avoided eating certain things and would have not participated in different ways. And so he says, look, for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. For one person believes he may eat anything while a weak person only eats vegetables. So Paul identifies that in a group of people that's mixed from different backgrounds, we might have different degrees of faith. Some of us are weaker in our faith and some of us are stronger in our faith. And most of us, just sort of in our natural pride, if I were to say, well, do you think you're weak or do you think you're strong? You know, most of us would want to raise our hand and say, I'm one of the strong ones in faith. We're not as likely to raise our hand and say we're weak, but I don't want you to misinterpret what weak means here. Weak for Paul, as he goes on to continue to describe this, has nothing to do with moral weakness. This, this is not describing someone who is prone to sin. Paul talks about sin in other parts of the book. That's not what he's dealing with here. And he, he signals pretty clearly who the strong one is. He says that the strong one is someone who, in their faith, believes that they can participate in all things. He says that he is persuaded and convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in of itself. That's, that's the posture of strength. And he says that it's the weak person who is only eating vegetables and not participating in the eating of meat. That's not a translation for us and whether you're a vegetarian or a vegan or not. But in Paul's day, as he's describing that, he doesn't just say there is a weak and a strong. He even signals who he thinks is weak and strong. But at no point is he describing weakness as moral weakness or sinfulness in what he's characterizing. And he speaks to the strong and he says, challenges them to have faith in God's rule. That whether one is weak or strong is dependent upon the degree of faith in what they will themselves will permit. But even for the strong, there's not only what we have faith in in terms of what we're allowed to do, but do we have faith in the God who oversees this family and that if he has welcomed people in the family, we're not now the authorities to kick anyone out. It's his family. It's his table. And so if he says he's having dinner and he invites all these different people, we're not supposed to be the ones who in our faith that we can do anything undermine our faith in that he's the ruler and it's his table and he's allowed to invite whomever he chooses that's what Paul says who, who are you to judge another person's servant if, if someone else is the master isn't it up to that person to decide who's welcome or unwelcome and extends it that not only is God presently ruling as the leader of the family that is the church but he's also the one before whom we're all going to stand one day in judgment. So if he's the one who rules right now and the one before whom we'll all stand, having faith in that rule in the present and in the future is what Paul is challenging both the weak and the strong to have. Whatever our faith means in terms of our individual decisions, do we all have faith in God and his ultimate rule? that in his grace to invite people from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of struggles, 
we honor people based on his authority and not just our own convictions. And so that the strong are challenged not to undermine the weak because to do so is to exhibit a lack of faith in God's rule. And then they're challenged to love by Christ's example. So he says, our faith, which is that we're free to do whatever God has said we're allowed to do, that he's declared all things unclean, but we're supposed to do that, recognizing his rule, is to add to it the question of whether or not we're walking in love. And that's what he challenges the strong. If somehow our faith has led us to be unloving towards our brothers and sisters, then something's broken. (laughs) That's not where faith is supposed to lead us. The faith that we have in our mind and hearts that God is ruling and reigning is to lead us in the outworking of that to very practically love our brothers and sisters and love them, not just because God rules over them and God will one day judge them, but he says, why aren't you walking in love with those for whom Christ died? See, it's not just that he has the authority to welcome to the table, but he's the one who died so that they could come to the table. So that if we exclude them, we're not just insulting his power and his authority. We're insulting his sacrifice. If he had to die in order for everyone to come to the table, he's saying it's not now for us to make someone feel excluded, but we're to love them in the way that he has loved us. And so that if we would have been first to say, yeah, I'm not one of the weak, I'm one of the strong, what Paul actually does in this whole section is to highlight the weak person and eventually challenge everyone who's strong to be like them. Here's what I mean. The weak person believes it's wrong to eat a certain type of meat, and so they don't. The weak person thinks they have to honor one day as separate from the others, and so they do. So in both instances, the weak person, whatever they believe, they're willing to act on. If they believe in their conscience, God would be offended by me doing this. They don't do it. That's why I say weakness here is not moral weakness. He's not describing sin at all. It is someone who thinks this is sinful, so I shouldn't do it, and so they don't do it. Paul's saying you might think you're smarter than them, You might have a different perspective than them, but don't think you can prove upon their willingness to act according to what they believe. What they think is wrong, they do not do. And so now as I'm telling you that it's wrong to undermine them, it's wrong to exclude them, if I can persuade you to believe that, I'm asking you to behave accordingly. God, yes, might grow us from being a new baby in Christ and maturing and being discipled along the way to we understand things differently and we grow in our knowledge. But he is never trying to grow us past a posture of simple obedience. That what we know is right, we do, and what we believe is wrong, we don't do. Here's the thing. You and I need friends in our lives who, when we're struggling with sin, will come to us and they'll tell us, about how Romans 8.1 says there is no therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And they'll tell us how in Romans 10, it says that if, if we just confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved from whatever sin we're struggling with. But you and I also need a friend who when we make an excuse about our behavior and unethical decisions say, well, that's just a weakness. And who are you to pass judgment on me? Romans 14 says, who are you to pass judgment on me? That that person would know scripture enough to say, that's not what it says. Paul has spent the entire letter judging sin. In Romans 1, he showed everyone where sin leads that it leads to destruction. He's reminded them all that the wages of sin is death. He's told them in Romans 6 to have nothing to do with it, to not let their instruments be used to continue sin. He has strong words of judgment to say against sin. And if I'm sinning, I need someone who loves me enough to judge me for it and say, that's not weakness, that's sinfulness. And yes, if I confess with my mouth and if I repent and if I'm sincere, there is a promise of grace and forgiveness. But sometimes it's so easy for us to read a verse like verse 13, therefore don't pass judgment any longer and think it is inappropriate for us to hold each other accountable. And that's not, that can't be what Paul is saying if you read the letter in its entirety. He has the strongest of words that could possibly be said about sinfulness. Here, weakness is limited perspective, limited exposure, limited knowledge, limited faith. And if someone, though, with that limitation still acts according to their faith, and there's a beautiful integrity and continuity between what they say and what they do, he's saying, don't discourage that. Cherish that. Honor that. If that person eventually becomes convinced in their own mind that they're now allowed to do things they didn't think they were allowed to do, great. But don't force them into that. Let them grow into that. But at no point along the way is he inviting us as Christians to turn off our minds when it comes to calling good, good, and evil, evil, and righteousness, righteousness, and sin, sin. But he is challenging us and challenging the heart of all of us who were, if we think we're further along the road of maturity, to not diminish someone because they've had a different background than we do and they've been exposed to different challenges than we've been exposed to. And even in their Christian life, they haven't had the quite the victory that maybe you've had over certain things. And for you, you can partake in things without it taking you right back into the pit but they know they can't. And so they have to have more boundaries. They have to have more guardrails. And he's saying, honor that. What would the Christ who died for them do to them in that situation? He would be gentle and compassionate when the disciples saw the kids coming and they said, get away, he doesn't, don't bug him. He was like, no, 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 bring them to me. Don't dishonor them just because they're young. Don't dishonor them just because they're immature. Because the issue in faith is not how weak or strong it is, but who it's placed in. And anyone who's chosen to place their faith in me, yes, is welcome at this table. And that's where Jesus said, it only takes the faith, the, grain, the size of the grain of a mustard seed to move mountains. 
So it's not for us to compare who has the most amount of it, but it is for us to honor, to express our faith in his rule, and to love by his example. And if we do, then to live realizing that God is always holding out to us hope. This is where we went into chapter 15 in the first seven verses. By faith, if it's not sin for you and you're not stumbling anyone, yes, live out your faith. But live it out in a way that also recognizes his rule where you love those who don't have the same faith as you do. But understand that all of this is meant to be an encouragement to endure and to keep on going so that you would have hope. Chapter uh, chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us each please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's a beautiful picture, this, this musical image of harmony with one another. That there are different degrees and different uh, abilities that we might have. But God has a way of putting that together so that there's sort of an orchestra sound or a choir sound that comes from it. Rather than everyone singing one singular strong note. And the music can be better when there's the diversity of voices that are being lifted up, harmonizing with one another in glorifying him. And he's giving us hope in that regard. And so the quote on the back of your handout, if you have it from C.S. Lewis, he says, there are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. He's talking there at the level of sacrifice, maybe loss that comes to us when we choose to follow in the way of Christ's example, where we have faith in his rule, saying there's no thing that if, if as you read Romans 14 and 15 and think, is there a sacrifice that I could make in a loving way on behalf of someone for whom Christ died, eventually we'll realize was not much of a sacrifice at all. That there are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. And one of them is described here, this hopefulness of the participation of how much greater the church can be when it's diverse, how much greater heaven will be because people will gather from every tribe, tongue, and nation and with one voice glorify God. And to get there, everyone will lose something along the way. But there, none of us will do anything but celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have reasons for faith in your rule, that in your goodness, you presently lead us, and you are the one before whom we will stand, and that you don't just rule from far, but we thank you that you sent your Son to be a sacrifice so that we could be welcomed in brought safely into the fellowship of your family. 
And we pray that you would help us in that participation to grow in our not just knowledge and not in any pride, but that we would grow in our capacity to love, that we would grow in our ability to reflect your son. And that we would look at anyone who's younger in the faith, more fragile in their convictions as people to cherish, as people to protect and to bring along. You are the God who gives us endurance. You are the one who gives us encouragement. You are the one who holds out hope to each and every one of us. And so we pray that you would strengthen us and help us to learn how to harmonize together in bringing you praise. In Jesus' name we pray.